Good morning. Welcome to the Mr. Elton Podcast. It's Monday, November 6th, a.k.a. the morning after the Redskins' improbable win at Seattle. Here to talk about that from the Washington City Paper, it's Matt Turrell. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jamie. How you doing? I'm doing great. That was incredible. That was remarkable, man. That was unbelievable. I mean, maybe a little less so for me since I called it on this podcast. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I, I not only didn't call it on the podcast, I was still not calling it straight up until about four seconds left in the game. And actually, even after that. So, well, I, well, I should I should hedge. I should say, uh, but when I say I called it, I was just saying they have a chance because the Seahawks had only beaten Seattle and Houston by three points at home. So we had a shot. And that, I felt like I was out on a limb just saying that. Uh, I thought you were way out on a limb. And I... I, I to be honest, I guess the Seahawks must have played much more like they played against the Redskins last night in their other games because <laughs> they sure did their best to make sure that the Redskins uh, not only stayed in the game but won it. Incredible. I mean, season-saving win. They would have fallen to 3-5 and five with the loss. They've got two of the NFC's best teams the next two weeks in Minnesota and New Orleans. They've got Dallas uh, in four weeks. So it, it was a game they had to have. They somehow won it. Uh, we'll get to a freezing cold take of your own <laughs> in just Dear a God. minute. But Dear I think God. what made it so incredible was there was at no point in this game, I mean, they were winning most of the game, but at no point in this game, including after they scored the touchdown with about a minute left, did I think they were going to actually win. No, 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 no one did. I mean, at, at that point, after they scored the, the improbable touchdown, which nobody thought they would score, I actually got a text from a friend who is not nearly as dreary as I am. He's, he's a normal human being, being Redskins fan. And he was like, we left him too much time. Game over. We lost. Like, literally as soon as we scored the touchdown. 100%. I was right there. That, was, that, was that me? Was no. That, it, was not, it was not you. It was, it was an even more normal person than you. All right, we're going to run through overreactions as we normally do. Offense, defense, special teams, broadcast. There was a Blandino moment. We'll come back to that later. Um, <laughs> and uh, coaching, officiating, all that. Let's start with the offense. Uh, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, how about that? How do you do? Um, you know, uh, he, he really made some crucial plays at the end of the game um, that uh, I did. I, on record, did not, uh, did not think he was going to make, Jamie. Okay, so uh, what was the exact tweet? I'm, I'm trying to pull it up. And actually, you know, I'll probably find it quickly enough uh, that, that you don't have to say it from memory. Uh, yes, here it is. Gosh, <laughs> this tastes so good. Uh, the morning after. Matt Terrell at 7.16 p.m. yesterday. You can't leave Kirk Cousins a minute and 34 seconds. That's more than enough time to throw a pick six. To be fair, uh, it would have been more than enough time to throw a pick six. Here's the thing. Like, in all seriousness, yes, I got freezing cold takes. It was a very exciting moment for me. I, I, I was actually genuinely pleased by that. Because, uh, yeah, I was wrong. He, he won the game. He absolutely won the game. He absolutely threw two crucial passes that he had to throw that I did not, would not have thought he could do. But it, Bill Barnwell used to do this thing uh, when the Patriots were in their middle phase of, uh, you know, still being good but hadn't won a Super Bowl for a while, where he would say, let's pretend Tom Brady's career was in reverse and that he had had this long stretch of losing Super Bowls and then finally won one after nine years or ten years or whatever it was at the time, and, and totally changes your narrative on Tom Brady. I think you can scale that down and do the same thing here. If Cousins throws those two touchdowns in the middle of the first quarter and then doesn't 
gives the ball back to Seattle in the end, you know, with the Redskins holding on to the same thin lead and they win by the same margin, I don't think anybody gets nearly as excited by him. I think the timing of them is crucial. And it's crucial because we've always said he's not clutch and, or I've always said, or one of the knocks on him has been that he, he, he can't make the big play in a crucial moment. So it does make some difference. But at the same time, he played three quarters of a really mediocre or worse game of football. He really did. He won it when he needed to. I give him all the credit in the world. But... Well, I, what I'm curious about, really, I feel like you're dancing around the issue here. Last week, you famously said he's just a guy. Just a guy. <laughs> just a guy, total jag. Um, and then I saw you know, some Twitter musings from you yesterday, you know, freezing cold, take a side, where you had reverse coursed on that. And he is no longer just a guy. So oh, where you do think- you stand on the Kirk Cousins jag meter? Oh, no, I think he's just a guy. Where did I reverse course on him? Not I thought just a maybe, guy. Maybe I misinterpreted some, some tweets. I don't know. You know, 140 I, I, characters is difficult sometimes. Yeah, I know. They won't give me the 280 because I frankly don't deserve it. I think Kirk Cousins is just a guy. I think he's, he reminds me of Joe Flacco. I mean, I think there's a certain, you know, is Kirk Cousins Joe Flacco movement that we could have here. I, I love, I love the random Cousins comparisons. Like I always, <laughs> I always break out the Alex Smith. That's my go-to Cousins comparison. Flacco is a really good one. Um, our, our kind of a companion podcast, the Burgundy Blogcast, uh, Hayes, the co-host of that one, likes to break out Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon seems <laughs> what cool. What the fuck, man? That seems Mike cool. Glennon? That seems cool. Well, let, me take, let me take you back real quick, though, Jamie. Let me take you back uh, more than two years to October 21st, 2015, where uh, in the Washington City paper, under the headline, Great News, Kirk Cousins is Awful, um, hmm. I decide that Kirk Cousins is terrible at football. And I describe him as a Kirk Cousins-esque game, flashes of genuine adequacy mixed with bafflingly inaccurate throws and multiple spirit-crushing, game-killing interceptions. Now, I still stand by all of that. It's also perhaps weirdly coincidental that the very next week he would go on to have his You Like That game uh, lead a Sterling comeback, win, I forget what it is, what is it, a seven of the next ten mm-hmm. or something, putting mm-hmm. up insane numbers, uh, and leading the team to the playoffs. So I don't want to take full credit for just continually inspiring Kirk Cousins to great success, but I think that the evidence is, uh, is irrefutable. I will say two things about Cousins. Uh, ignoring that shameful, that shameful retelling of your story. Um, two things about Kirk Cousins. One is whatever money he lost last week with the Garoppolo uh, trade, he made back with that final drive. Yeah, like yeah. because that's the sort, sort of moment, like the Green Bay game last year, that sticks out in the offseason where you're like, oh, he could be that quarterback. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he definitely did. He definitely um, did. You know where he's going to make it, too. I told you this in the text last night. The, the, the New York Jets are going to back up the truck. Uh, the New York Yankees are going to back up the truck for Bryce. Those two can keep exchanging texts uh, right up there in New York. It's going to be brilliant. I'll just be weeping. Um, <laughs> the other thing, I, I don't know how many parallels there really were, but this reminded me so much of the Monday Night Miracle game, uh, Mark Brunel to Santana Moss, like 12 years ago, when the Redskins were losing 13 to nothing at Dallas, and then lightning struck twice, and it was two Brunel go-routes to Moss for the win. That's what this last drive was. I, I mean, it was totally unexpected. Cousins had two incredible – it was a 70-yard drive, and 69 of those yards, nice, were on two great throws to Brian Quick and Josh Doxson. And I, I still am not sure. I mean, the first one to Quick, Cousins had incredible pressure, threw the ball to a spot over the wrong shoulder – where Quick just like somehow got into that into that position to catch the ball. It was a great play all around. The Dachshund completion was a great throw, but an even better catch. 
that was an incredible moment for Josh Doxson. And like, I'm, I'm just so glad it happened. Yes. And he needed that. And it was, uh, there was some quote afterwards. It was a first round play or something like mm-hmm. that. Like it was, it really was. That's what you needed to get from that guy. It was also a throw downfield that is of the type that Cousins generally doesn't like to make. He's usually a more cautious guy. Mm-hmm. But in that situation, he did that. I mean, there was that whole conversation earlier in the week uh, where, where Cousins came out and said, oh, if I played the way Jay Gruden wanted me to play, I'd throw 20 interceptions. And Gruden came back a little later and said, yeah, but he'd throw 60 touchdowns. And I think you saw some of that there. That's, I think that's exactly what Gruden was talking about, is you got to take those shots to have those plays that then – lead to to those kind of results. I, I really thought um, the receivers were great, but Cousins being willing to finally, finally do that uh, made a big difference. I love the Gruden-Cousins public back and forth. Like, those two should just get a room already. <laughs> you know? And keep it up. Keep it up. I want them to be a tandem going forward. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with this. Um, I thought the offensive line played remarkably well, given the fact that four of them shouldn't be playing. And they were at Seattle where you can't hear yourself think. And the Seahawks defense is really good. And I know they only had 100-something offensive yards going into the fourth quarter, which is not great, not ideal. Um, But there were very few penalties. Uh, They somehow managed to put 17 points on the board. Like, I think that their performance all around – I, especially after the start when that like terrible safety to Cousins happened. Yeah. Like, I, if you were to tell me at that point, like, yeah, they're going to score 17 points today and it's not going to be a total embarrassment, I, I would have been very surprised. And I would have been happy with it. I would have been like, okay, well, we'll lose 24 to 17. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it reminded me a lot of both. You're right about the Monday Night Miracle. There was also a little element of the, uh, the scab game, uh, the, Redskins, the Redskins replacement players beating the Cowboys. Uh, oh, in 87? Starters. Yeah, back in 87. There was a little bit of that vibe to it because those guys had no business playing as well as they did. It was a really genuinely remarkable performance. And I know Cousins, Cousins did get sacked six times, but like in light of Seattle being flagged, what, like, 15 penalties? Something, something like, like that. that. 140 <laughs> like, yards or something. It was a pretty clean game for a yeah. replacement offensive line. Uh, what else around the offense? I'm just looking at stats. Again, no run game. Never never a run game for this team. Well, the run, the run game would have been marginally less awful if Kirk Cousins hadn't decided to, as somebody put it on Twitter, sacrifice Rob Kelly to the football gods. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, uh, which, Richards and Radio. Yeah. Which, which, cost, which cost Rob Kelly like 11 yards and probably a year off the back end of his life. Okay, Kelly was 14 rushes for 18 yards. So unless, right. unless that was a negative 60, uh, he still sucked. It was, it was, <laughs> but it was negative 11. It would have yeah. given him another yard per carry average on, on his average. Uh, uh, P. Ryan with the, with the botched handoff. Not great for, for P. Ryan. Um, around the receiving core, you know, Doxon had that huge catch. Not much else. Uh, had a nice play where the ball, I think, was intended for Pryor, and Richard Sherman was, uh, you know, committing like two or three defensive pass interference, and Doxon still caught it. Yeah, that I, was thought nice. it was in, I thought it was actually intended for whoever was in front of Pryor. Missed him, missed <laughs> yeah. Pryor, and got to Doxon. There was layers to that. There was layers to that completion. That was a bizarre play. Pryor uh, had, Pryor had, I think you're about to get to this, uh, had a crucial reception. I don't even uh, remember. I, I remember it was like that a third was, and short, maybe? 
that was the thing. It was, I think it was a third down. I think it was like third, I don't know for sure, but it was a third down. And I like freaked out with the friends I was watching with. I was like, did you see that? They're like, what? It was, it was a good catch. I'm like, it was, that was prior. It was just, it looked like a normal football play. There was nothing <laughs> exciting about it. I hit him. It was like on a cross and he got the first down. That was it. It would look like those guys knew how to play football together. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, Vernon Davis, six catches on nine targets for 72 yards. Vernon Davis is going to end up with a gold jacket. Thanks to this late career surge with the Redskins. <laughs> I think we've forgotten how you're right, but I think we've forgotten how great he was in college, coming out of college and in his early years. I mean, mm-hmm. He was a monster. Um, now he's a beloved like elder statesman monster, but he he was he he was really good as a rookie. Um, I think he had like 14 touchdowns one year with the with the Niners, which is incredible. Um, anything else on the offensive side of the ball before we move to defense? Um, no, I mean, I, 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 there was virtually no offense for most of the game. It's a good point. It's basically point. two drives. All right. Well, you know what time it is. It's time for Dustin Fox of Pearson Smith Realty, a local real estate agent born and raised in Northern Virginia. He's been sponsoring the Mr. Relevant podcast lately. Really appreciate that. Uh, and show your love for Dustin because he will sell your house, but only if you're a Redskins, Caps, Nats, or Wiz fan. If you're a Cowboys fan, and I'm going to go, go ahead and say if you're a Giants fan, Eagles fan, sorry, you're shit out of luck call some discount broker. But if you want a DMV expert with innovative social marketing, that's right, innovative social marketing and proven results, call or email Dustin Fox. Here's Dustin's phone number. You can call him, you can text him, do whatever you want. Dustin's putting it out there. 703-927-1461 or email him all of your most personal thoughts and feelings to Dustin at psrcollection.com. That's Dustin with a D, HTTR. How was that? How was that, Matt? Good read. I thought that, I thought that was a good one. I really think we're settling into a, to a really impressive professionalism on that. Good I feel work. like Dustin needs to send me a new read. You know, well, because now it's like it's just a little boring. It's just well, a little let me rope. let me give let me give a personal testimonial to Dustin, who mm-hmm. did uh, come to somewhat to my defense on on Twitter in light of my uh, shameful freezing cold taking, and you know, I I, I actually. I'm a little harder on myself than he was on me, but I, he, he, I don't know him well. He seems like a really good guy. I thought that was some innovative social media marketing by coming to help me, and uh, therefore I think he should, he should be a, your real estate agent. Yeah. Um, okay. Defense. Great. Yep. I, I, uh, I, I've got a few things, but I'll let you start. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to start with those guys you know, played incredibly well, and Zach Brown is a monster. Where were you going to start? <laughs> Zach Brown is awesome. Like, can we can we hop into the way back machine and just give him a long term deal? <laughs> can, oh, yeah. can we make that okay? Well, it's going to be interesting when they can't franchise Cousins because they have to franchise Zach Brown. Uh, Zach Brown, not the country artist. Eleven tackles, one sack. Uh, just seemed like more than that. He <laughs> was all over yeah. the field. Uh, yeah, love Zach Brown. Um, shout out to D Hall. Like, oh man. I did not think that D'Angelo Hall was going to figure prominently into like a good Redskins moment in 2017. Like that, that was far fetched. He yeah. had five tackles, two passes defensed, including the Hail Mary. I think that's included in the stat line there. Uh, and was also returning punts. The dude's like 42 and coming off of what? Two seasons lost to injury. Yeah. I, incredible moment for, for D Hall. So, so my wife has a running, a running joke about D'Angelo Hall because he was, when we signed him back in whatever, 2008, it was on the bye week 
um, and it interrupted a lunch. And I was finally getting lunch with my wife, and she was all cranky. And then she was reading about him, and she's like, "Everybody says this guy's a locker room cancer." And then repeatedly over the time that I, <laughs> I worked for the team, he proved again and again, just on a personal level, to be a super nice guy. I, he was a good player. He turned out to be not bad in the locker room, but but so my wife, because of that, and because he turned out to be genuinely a good human being, at least as far as we could see, uh, has referred to him as the locker room cancer uh, consistently <laughs> for almost a decade now. And she was so excited to see him back out on the field yesterday. And, you know, locker room cancer back out there again. She was just thrilled. It was congratulations to D Hall. That was awesome. Uh, D'Angelo Hall turns 34 this month. This is his 10th year with the Redskins. Since 2013, he has played a total of 17. This is his 18th game. So he's basically lost two seasons, two plus seasons to injury over the past three plus seasons. Uh, and they needed him. You know, like, it's, yeah. I mean, I, 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 that was, I was just awesome. Um, he, was, I, he was in on the final play and he didn't muff any of his punt returns. I feel like he has, much like your story there about, you know, D. Hall, the, the clubhouse cancer or whatever, I feel like he has won me over and won over, I think, like everyone who kind of follows the Redskins. There's a lot of skepticism when he came in as like a big money, like he signed a big deal with Oakland, came in and kind of had this like outsized reputation given his performance on the field. And with all the Redskins baggage for like big name acquisitions that don't perform up to their kind of reputation, um, you know, it was like a rocky start. And over time, like he was never like an all pro caliber guy, but he had a knack for the big play. He emerged as like a franchise leader certainly has staying power. I think he'll be Apparently remembered. So. I think he'll be re- like really well remembered as as one of the good Redskins. I think so too. I wouldn't be surprised if he wound up like either on the coaching staff or part of the broadcast team or something. Mm-hmm. I thought he already I, was basically on the coaching staff. So, well, so did I. I was shocked they activated him yesterday. Um, but but he did great. Also doing great in the defensive backfield, uh, Josh Norman, who I know you were you were focused on his less than stellar play, but his tackle on Thomas Rawls by the arm yeah. was was just it was stunning. I can't I, I can't believe the leverage and strength it must have taken to do that. Josh Norman is such a fighter. And I mean that in the literal sense. Like, I think he would just fight anyone. Oh, like, absolutely. And, like, do well. Um, yeah, I mean, I had an issue. Whatever. I, you know, if, if you play cornerback, like, it's going to happen. Like, you're going to give up a touchdown here or there along the way. Um, it was just that it was such a bad touchdown. You know, it was the Seahawks go-ahead to Doug Baldwin with under two minutes left, like a 30 or 40-yard play and he looked wide open on the play you couldn't even tell who was covering him until the replay and you see that Norman had him in the slot tried to come up and press him and kind of jam him on the line totally whiffed and was like immediately five to ten yards behind Baldwin like from the jump and that was the touchdown and and at the time you had to think that was the game because you weren't gonna like expect Cousins to lead them to a touchdown when they hadn't done anything all, all day. Uh, agreed. I, he also, the, I was noticing, I never noticed, you say he's a fighter, I never noticed, he, he gets pretty nasty after the play. Like, who was it that uh, he horse-collar tackled, and then... Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, God. That, <laughs> yeah, that was tackle like, was like, vicious. Like a savage horse-collar tackle. Then he elbows the guy while he's on the ground, and he yeah. stands up, sees that the guy's still laying there, and just kind of gives this, like, if he dies, he dies, and walks away. It was, <laughs> it was unbelievable. And I, so I started noticing after that that he, he every play kind of gives a little... Little forearm shiver after the play, a little poke, a little little punch. I can see why he irritates people. Well, uh, on the other team. Well, that that was Jimmy Graham, who's six foot eight, 
yeah, a giant. And yeah, I mean, Norman did whatever he could to get him to the ground. It ended up being like a pretty awkward, like violent horse collar situation. Graham's on his back and Norman drops an elbow on him. And then uh, you're right. Stands up. I was half expecting him to be like, Oh, you're not seizing yet here. Let me stomp. You. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, another great Josh Norman moment was on the Seahawks were down. They scored to, to get it to 10 to eight. They were down 10 to eight. They went for the two point conversion. Swearinger is an awesome, two-point goal line interception oh my God, and yes. return and it turns into like schoolyard Swearinger Norman stuff and they played high school football together where there was two different laterals between the two guys it they got it all the way down to like the Seattle like 20 or 30 and you know it was like one of these like last batter and in, in t-ball type of plays where like this like this play will go on until we're going for broke it's like go all the way or nothing that was an awesome play. One of the better like two point conversion returns you're going to see. I, I, you know, so uh, that was amazing. That was a spectacular play to watch. We've talked about Swearinger. We've mentioned Norman. We've mentioned D Hall. What you should mention, Kendall Fuller. Uh, oh yeah, quick. that was a great interception. Very Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl esque uh, interception there. But but so not to get to the end of what we usually do towards the end of the podcast. But I mean. Torian Gray, a first-year defensive backs coach for the Skins. I mean, you have to give this guy some credit, right? I mean, those guys are out there looking. I mean, it's 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 night and day from from what what they looked like last few years, right? Yeah, I mean, totally. It's like a strength. The secondary yeah. is a strength on this team, at least when they're healthy, because not only do you have all the aforementioned, you also have Breland, all right, uh, and Nicholson, the rookie, and it's just a strong group when they're all out there and not you know fifty percent. But yes, uh, that fuller interception was was great. Um, one other shout out also got an INT as well as eight tackles, three passes defense. You can tell I'm looking at the box score. Is Will Compton? Will Compton had a great game. <laughs> he was he around, and uh, there was two like after the game moments that were kind of picked up by like the NBC. Washington of the NBC Sports Washington. Is that the proper branding? I, I have no idea. The former, Argus formerly known as Comcast Sports. Uh, so home team sports got two uh, <laughs> great audio clips. One was Kirk Cousins just simply being like, yes! <laughs> you know, like that was the new Kirk Cousins. You like that? Uh, and the other was Will Compton going out of the tunnel. I couldn't really understand what he's saying. I think it was like a wrestling reference, but I don't know wrestling. Yeah, he was either. just basically like, Give me a beer. Give me a whiskey. We're flying back to Washington. <laughs> Whatever. I was like, you know, Redskins football, beer, and whiskey. These are my favorite things. I'm it's on the Will Compton team. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens for me, buddy. Yeah. Uh, good call. Um, okay. So <laughs> special teams. Um, I'm moving past the defense. That was great. That was good great. job, guys. Yeah. Uh, special teams. I'd just like to send a most sincere thank you across, across the country to the other coast to Blair Walsh. Not only does he sound like a character from 90210, but he missed three field goals. What a gift. Oh, it was it was a huge gift. I mean, he hits one of them the game's tied. He hits more than one of them and the Redskins lose. That was unbelievable. I was holding my breath. I, I mean, always. But when, when the Redskins are doing anything on special teams. But every kick, every punt, in like the rain and sleet with the noise at Seattle. And somehow it was like, not flawless. I think Tress Way might have had like a shitty 29-yarder in crunch time. But it, otherwise, pretty much flawless game. Yeah. Well, it's, I, 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 it's hard to complain in, in that situation. I, that was fine. I mean, whatever. And, and again, 
D'Angelo Hall steps in on short, reasonably short notice uh, after years of inactivity and doesn't muff punts. I mean, that's, let's keep him back there for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, much better than James Crowder. Um, <laughs> and just, I mean, if we mentioned the offensive line injuries, but four out of five linemen gone and Crowder and Reed, I still can't believe they won this game. Me neither. It seems, it seems impossible. All right, so that said, uh, transitioning into the coaching, I mean, whatever, great job by the coaches. They won at Seattle in a must-win situation. But can we talk about the we, – we got to this a little bit earlier, but the situation where the Redskins have first and goal from the half-yard line, one minute left, down four, and uh, everybody, everybody watching is thinking there's too much time left on the clock. Right. But also thinking, are we going to be able to score from the half-yard line? <laughs> because we can't run the ball, and we typically have had a little struggle in the red zone. I think that's gotten better lately. Um, were you kicking around the notion of, like, let's just, like, burn a play here to get it down to, like, 30 seconds and then try to go for it on second, third, and fourth down? Or were you of the mind that, like, yeah, just score by any means necessary? Weirdly, I was thinking of it from the other side. I was wondering if you're Seattle, do you let the Redskins score so you can get the ball back with a full minute and, you know, the magician Russell Wilson? I think or, definitely. I think you definitely want them to score as quickly as possible in that situation if you're Seattle. But but they're the Redskins. Do you? I mean, like, you really, if there was ever a team you had a chance of stoning uh, mm-hmm. four straight plays from the half yard line, it was. They don't know Washington. that. They don't know that like we know that. <laughs> they know that Tyler, Tyler Catalina is on the offensive line. I, mean, I, I don't know. It's a, but but ultimately they they scored. I think uh, I don't know. It, it no. I don't think I thought of it from the Skins' standpoint of burning a play. They they don't have plays to burn. They they needed. Uh, I would have thought that they needed all the help they could get. It turned out not so much. I mean, I thought that they should just kind of like run into the line, like take a dive on like the half yard line sort of play. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, that's just too crazy, like risky. That like that's like some real high level, like you know, Belichick shit to yeah, like actually yeah. like reasonably burn a play in that situation. Yeah. But I, I feel like it would have been the smart football play if you really like gamed it out. Because the alternative I mean, yeah, you could end up not scoring the touchdown because you gave up one down. Mm-hmm. But the alternative is you give Russell Wilson the ball with a minute left and a timeout and only needing a field goal to tie it. But the strength of the, your strength this game has been your defense. If, if I had to bet all the entire game on one play, I would have wanted the defense on the field, not the offense, even from the half-yard line. Yeah. So from that standpoint, the decision makes sense. I mean, I, but I'm, I'll tell you, I, I'm not going to second-guess much of anything because I thought this was one of the most spectacular coaching jobs uh, by a Redskins coaching staff that I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, it, it's becoming clear that, like, the Tamsula uh, – uh, we always forget the guy's name, Minuski mm-hmm. combination mm-hmm. Uh, is great on defense. Torian Gray, we mentioned the defensive backs appears to be spectacular. Um, what, uh, what's the old guy's name is doing the offensive line. I'm of course. Oh, Callahan. Yeah. Bill Callahan was probably like pig and shit. He's like, Oh, I got four guys who shouldn't be playing. Let's coach them up. <laughs> Woo-ha. Yeah. I mean, that was amazing. And I think you got to give Gruden credit partially as a play caller of the offense looks stagnant, but mainly as just like getting these guys motivated, coached up, ready to play all that, all those cliches. Like, 
I really, that's impressive because it would have been real easy to just phone this thing in. And I don't think anybody would have really been surprised or blamed him. It's not, there wasn't a lot to lose if they had just been like, well, we're doomed. Uh, but, but, but they didn't. I mean, it's, I, I give, I give the entire coaching staff a tremendous, tremendous amount of credit on this game. Yeah. And I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not criticizing anyone for scoring the go-ahead touchdown on first down there. <laughs> I'm just looking at that as like a really interesting game situation. Um, yeah, I mean, to win at Seattle with a notable you know, injury list, uh, I mean, that's a great road win. They also won at L.A., and even though they're only 4-4, four and four, their schedule has been brutal. Yeah. Like, like just looking at it right now, just quick tick down the list. Here's the like guys, teams that would be in the playoffs if the season were over today that the Redskins have played through the eight game, first eight games. The Eagles twice, so that's two. The Rams, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, and the Seahawks. That's six playoff teams out of eight games. And the other two, it was 49ers and Raiders. Raiders might end up in the playoffs. Could. So they're 500 despite crazy injury situation. And a super strong schedule. You you got to be happy with that when you were only really expecting about five hundred to begin with. Yeah, and there's something that I think that I tend to forget when I think of the Redskins as maybe a mediocre team is that you think of mediocre teams as teams that play just sort of okay all the time that stay medium, as Jim Zorn would have said. But you also forget that like sometimes it's actually more like wild fluctuation. Sometimes they play good. Sometimes they play inexplicably poorly uh and the net result is four and four i think four and four right now is both really good as you said given the the schedule and also probably about where this team really belongs to be honest mm-hmm. yeah i mean you couldn't expect much more you could see them belonging maybe like a three and five two and six <laughs> like yeah. but you you anything above four and four you would be like elated Yeah, and the only thing I would have hoped for to get that one extra win, realistically, is you'd like to have split with the Eagles at least. That's about it. But I mean, the Eagles are eight and one. Yeah, and And they look they look great. They're probably the number one team in everybody's power rankings. Them or New England, I guess. Now, looking ahead, though, you know, there's half the season left, and it kind of splits evenly into two four game chunks, where the next four games are really tough. You've got three of the next four are against like the class of the NFC beyond Philly. You've got Minnesota, New Orleans, and Dallas. Thrown in there is the Thanksgiving night game at home against the Giants. The Giants stink, but still, I don't think anybody's taking that as like that win for granted. I think if you get through this stretch, you know, two and two, uh, that's probably like a, a positive outcome. You know, if you get through it three and one, you're thrilled. If you're one and three, well, you're kind of fucked. But if they get through this four-game stretch, two and two, then they'd be sitting at six and six for December. And the December slate is real nice. You've got San Diego, Arizona, Denver, Giants. Now, that's not a stretch where you think you're just going to sweep through and there's no real easy win- wins for the Redskins, but you could definitely see like a three-and-one run through that stretch. So anyway, I'm just kind of mapping out the rest of the season. I think it maps towards like an eight and eight, nine and seven season, which could, could again, be another could be another winning one. season of the eight seven one exactly. Could we could we make a case that eight and eight is a winning season and they have three straight winning seasons? Sure, why not? Well, no, then we'd be saying they have three straight non losing seasons, which is even more embarrassing than the eight seven one winning season. Uh, you know, uh, one thing that excites me, sort of low key, about the way this is all broken is mm-hmm. that like the Thanksgiving game should mean something. 
you know, which is which is nice. Right. Um, yeah, you don't want to ruin Thanksgiving with like, oh great, the Redskins are on and they're like the, the embarrassment of the NFL. <laughs> yeah, although the Giant they're playing the Giants who very well might be the embarrassment of the NFL at the moment. And sure. when the Red if if the Redskins lose to them on Thanksgiving, that would certainly certainly sour the uh I mean they're probably gonna be high. five and five going into that game. Because I feel like hosting Minnesota at New Orleans the next two weeks. I mean, they could they could sweep that, they could get swept, but that's probably a split. Sure. So, I mean, why not? At this point, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anything else on coaching? No, no, we, they were great. We hit I on really... officiating. I mean, there was a ton of penalties against Seattle. I don't know how many were, like, not earned. Um, they almost called Zach Brown on that, like, uh, unnecessary roughness tackling Russell Wilson out of bounds. I was about to lose my shit. Yeah. <laughs> Russell Wilson is, like... Maybe the most mobile quarterback in the NFL. He ran for 80 yards yesterday. Zach Brown didn't even tackle him hard, and the tackle started like two or three yards inbounds. Yeah. Anyway, they put they they put the flag back in their pants. Um, can we get to the broadcast? Yeah. Can we get okay. to Dean Blandino? I think we have to. I was so excited when, in a crucial moment of the game, we got the Blandino moment. Like, I, I just, I because of this podcast, I just, I love that guy. I just, okay. I just love him. So, I just want to say, like, that was such a crucial moment. It was the Seahawks' final drive, down three. They're like borderline field goal territory. Uh, I forget which Redskin it was. Kind of like shot through the line and got Wilson down low. Wilson appeared to like like throw it away like spike the ball like as he was falling but the replay clearly showed his knee was down so during this review there like whoever the uh the the play-by-play was kevin burkhart and who was the the uh, color guy uh charles what's his last Uh, name charles smith something i don't know yeah anyway he was like oh this is a runoff situation and i'm like you know prematurely celebrating and they throw to blandino blandino says no he correctly says, no, this is not a runoff situation. There is 12 seconds left on the clock when the knee went down. They're going to start it you know, with four seconds and, and kind of run it from there. And, he, and Blandino, in the moment, you know, when, when true, you know, you really show your true colors, came up big. And he nailed yeah. that. He nailed that review. He nailed it. He nailed it. I mean, the official mascot of, uh, of this podcast and the 2017 Washington Redskins season, uh, Really, really got things right in a crucial moment, just like the Redskins did. I mean, you gotta love the guy. I'm still so confused though about Fox's uh, like satellite official review broadcast booth because they took great pains, as noted on this broadcast, to introduce the Blandino Pereira combo. <laughs> it was a combo. It was a it was a, a team. And now, like this game, there was only like what one or two NFC games happening that Fox could have even cared about. Where was Pereira? It's the Blandino show. I, I, well, but Pereira was on site. Like that's, that's what I always find. Funny Pereira was on like, site? I missed not, that. Not for the, not for this game, for some oh. other, for, oh. for some real game that they care oh, about. Oh yeah. But that's, that's what I find so funny is when you're the national game and they're like, uh, now we go to Mike Pereira and you hear Mike Pereira talking and then they cut to the booth and he's actually standing there. And it's like a <laughs> gag from an airplane movie where it's like the guy who's been talking off screen is literally just standing off screen. It's amazing. But yeah, anyway, so that's what I assume Pereira was doing. Well, a lot of ups and downs for Blandino, you know, so much divisiveness, just fans debating endlessly about his broadcast abilities. He's kind of like the, the Kirk Cousins of, <laughs> of uh, broadcasting. By the way, this is not a Redskins thing, but I just had to talk to somebody about it. Did you see that Tony Romo criticized Marcus Peters, the Chiefs cornerback, saying like, you know, he's great in coverage, but in tackling, like, man, he makes Deion Sanders look tough. Something like that. 
Then Deion Sanders on, I don't even know what he was on, NFL Network or CBS. I don't even know which broadcast network. But he was like a studio situation. He's like, Tony, I, I, don't, I, I, don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to get to the high road on this. He's like, I don't know the address for the high road. <laughs> he goes in on Tony Romo and is like, let me just throw some stuff out. You never won a Super Bowl. You were two and four in the playoffs. <laughs> you threw twenty interceptions in two thousand twelve. I'm like, that's a random stat. <laughs> he's, just, he's like, and he's like, meanwhile, I've got a gold jacket which I did not buy. <laughs> I was like, whoa, Dion, yeah, chill out, man. Yeah, well, you know when everybody universally praises the new announcer that that somebody's going to show up to throw some shade, and there is arguably no better shade thrower in NFL history than Deion Sanders. Well, you know, Deion, just let it let it be, man. Like now, I, I I was not even aware that Romo made a mild criticism of Deion Sanders' tackling ability from the 1990s, <laughs> but now I am. I'm reminded of it. Um, but yeah, I I don't want this to like keep Romo down man that's one of like the great things about Romo is that it's almost like he doesn't know that you shouldn't be critical during the broadcast you know and now he's aware oh I I I don't think it's going to stop him at all I get the Romo really vibes as somebody who just could not possibly care less what someone like Deion Sanders thinks yeah well I can't believe I'm in the position of like siding with and supporting Tony Romo but here we are um, Tony Romo, Alex Rodriguez, uh, uh, yeah. David Ortiz, all these guys have become, in a very short time, weirdly likable in the broadcast booth. I hate it. Yeah, but I mean, we should always remember that Tony Romo was 2-4 and four in the playoffs. <laughs> Thank you, Dion. Uh, all right, man, that does it for another edition of Mr. Elvin Podcast, a joyous edition of the pod. May there, may there be many more like this. Uh, thanks to Dustin Fox of Pearson Smith Realty. Call him if you're a Skins fan. He will sell you a house. He will sell your house. Whatever you need done in like the real, whatever your real estate needs. If you need some like innovative social, you need somebody to Snapchat for you. Do you want like a killer Instagram story that has to do with DMV area real estate? Dustin Fox is your man. Uh, thank you to Matt Turrell as always. Matt underscore Turrell on Twitter. Read him in the city paper. Um, anything else? Any other thank yous, Matt? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, thank you to uh, to Chris Mottram, Mr. Relevant, you know, what would you even call him? Founder, emeritus, uh, mm-hmm. godhead, for just a really fun uh, series of riffs on Kirk Cousins via Creed songs yesterday before before the game was won. That, that. Was, that was pretty much the highlight of the first half for me. So. I, I'm, I'm almost positive Chris does not know that much about Creed. I'm pretty sure there was some research happening on the fly there. Um, also... Congratulations to Chris. His wife had their second child uh, Thursday, Friday. Waylon, uh, Waylon William Mottram. That's awesome. Yeah, and I said something about like, oh man, did you, were you inspired by the the infamous Outlaw Country collaboration, Waylon and Willie? <laughs> and, and he's, I don't know if this is true or not, but he was like, oh, I didn't even realize that. So, so Waylon Willie Mottram is the the newest uh, Mottram in the world. Uh, Very happy for him and his wife. Um, Mazel tov to them. All right, man. Well, we'll be back next week, either four and five or five and four. Uh, Either way, we'll be here.